everybody. Welcome back to The Bookshelf uh, with Festival of Honor Ministries. I'm Stephen McKay. I'm Dalton Claghorn. And we are going to talk about systematic theology today. Kind of, actually. We're going to pull up some the stuff. Uh, out, of, out of, you know... Scripture. <laughs> out of Scripture. That's kind of what we normally The do. Word of God. It's important. And, uh, yes, we're going to talk about... The, the Bible. The Word of God. <laughs> the Bible. The Scripture. Um, you know, there's a lot of resources that we pull from. Uh, one of my favorite books that I've, you know, in the last year and a half come in contact with is a book called Systematic Theology. Dalton? Allow us to get this book <clears throat> off the bookshelf. Because this is the bookshelf anyways. Yeah, it is. Uh, so Systematic Theology by Norman Geisler um, is a, man, I, I wish that somebody at 18 years, that somebody would have gave me this at 18 years old and said, Stephen, read, read this, read it, get it in your mind, your heart. Uh, because it is just foundational to what we believe and preach. And so... I wish I could have read when I was 18 years old. <laughs> that was just last year, bro. So. <laughs> I'm 21, for all of you that are wondering. Uh, anyways, man. 21, 21. So we're going to talk about the Word of God, uh, its role in our life, and how we take it and apply it. So, Dalton, what have you got here, man? So, I, I think that we started this... Um, bookshelf in John, and we worked through John kind of unraveling the significance of the statements of Jesus that were made in John, and we've, we've kind of been over different areas, and there's, we, we've kind of just built on this assumption that everything that is said about Jesus in the Bible is true, and that it is supremely authoritatively inspired by God. And of course, we believe that. Of course. And so we are going to take this entire time today to reinforce this idea of the idea that Scripture alone is the only resource that is God-inspired. Yep. It is the final authority. It's the supreme authority. Basis Everything of, begins and ends with Scripture. It, it's the basis of all faith, and it's the basis of all, all, all practice of our faith. It is through Scripture alone. Uh, you know, there's a, um, a three, th what is it, Dalton? Uh, the three-part. Okay, yeah. sola gratia. And I, I was going to say that, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Sola gratia, sola fide, sola, sola Christo. Okay. By, by grace alone. By grace alone. Through, through faith alone. In Christ alone. And then next we have Scripture alone. Sola Scriptura. We have, and I've said it in past um, bookshelves, we, we've, we have to go wherever the hand of Scripture takes us. I think we've said it in every bookshelf. In, maybe that should be our uh, Yeah, maybe that should that be, should our be a motto. I think so. I like that. Why not? Wherever the hand of Scripture carries us, that's where we're going to go. So we cannot go outside of this book, outside of the, outside of the text. If you bring something else and it doesn't line up with Scripture, throw it in the garbage. Exactly. That's because that's what it is. That's what? Sola Scriptura. So we're going to start today kind of dealing with this idea that uh, Protestants have long held that the Bible is the supreme and final authority, the divinely inspired Word of God. Like, you know, fast forward now, a couple thousand, a couple hundred years, give or take, uh, where you want to start. Yep. The greatest attack from kind of contemporary Christianity, this modern agenda, mm -hmm. is um, scrutinizing Scripture, being critical of Scripture, and trying to say, well, maybe it's not the final authority. Mm -hmm. Maybe, you know, this was just handed to you. Maybe this is just a compilation of a bunch of guys writing and, you know, Who's to say that this is actually God's word? And unless we have an, an understanding around the basis of what Scripture is uh, and where we get Scripture, 
uh, we won't have answers to you know, rebuttal or go back against their arguments. Yeah. We've got to know that this is the living, written Word of God. Yeah. There's a lot of proofs for that. I'm only going to go down this one, uh, this one argument for the proof of the inspiration of God because the entire point of this today is actually to talk more about the Bible itself. So um, I, I guess the most mathematically improbable uh, prophetic type of argument we have for the divine inspiration of the Bible is that, okay, you can break down the Bible into sections. The Old Testament is Jesus is coming. The Gospels is Jesus is here. Mm-hmm. Acts is Jesus proclaimed. The Epistles is Jesus explained. The book of Revelation is Jesus is coming back. The difference between all of these sections is that the entire purpose of the Old Testament was to foreshadow the coming of Jesus. Specifically, within the Old Testament, there are 333 prophecies just about the coming of Christ. Every single one of these prophecies written by different people at different times, different authors, different books, different thoughts, all of them came to pass. The mathematic probability of 333 different people betting the outcome of one sporting event It would never happen. Never. Now imagine the mathematical probability of 333 different people alive at different times in history prophesying about something that has not yet even happened. One One event that has not even happened. With the sporting event, you've got two probabilities. This team wins or this team wins. Right. Think about all of the possibility that could happen. All the details, man. All the stuff that had to line up. You know, they, they said that he would be born in Bethlehem. They said that he in would be... In a manger. In a, yeah, in a manger, a manger, in a stable. They a said manger. that he would be... A manger. <laughs> they said that he would be crucified. Isaiah said that, you know, he was wounded and bruised and so many different... The um, triumphal entry. Moving, yeah. The triumphal The death on the cross. Right. The All elevated. There's no way that you could get such specificity out of 333 people from 333 different times, people groups, languages. All about one individual. You know, the Messiah, that's why when Christ came, it was such a, a you know, a, a miraculous thing as, I mean, think about living during the time when Christ was born and in his ministry. They're looking at the word uh, that became flesh and they're just sort of like, is this, this, is this real? But, you know, they're, they're, you, when you think about the probability of Christ himself coming, that's just one element of prophecy in the Old Testament about Christ. You know, 333 prophecies about Christ, but there's other things that the Old Testament have, has prophesied about uh, that has come to pass. So it's like, you know, that's one of the greatest points of credibility of something being true is if what they say would come to pass actually comes to pass. Absolutely. So kind of using that as our springboard um, of, of stating like this is the argument for the inspiration of Scripture. I want us to spend a couple minutes talking about what, how serious of an offense it is to begin to um, build doctrine, to uh, implement other books, mm. and to do anything that operates outside of the confines of Scripture. Mm. Like, how serious of an offense is this? How serious of an offense is Mormonism? Oh. How serious of an, of an offense is it for, for Joseph Smith to say that I have received a revelation that is outside of the Bible because the Bible has been made fallible? I just just keep on that thought because I, I if any man okay here we go Revelations chapter twenty two verses number nineteen so we based the credibility of the word of God just off of prophecy of Christ it's credible it's God's word then in the end of the book Revelations twenty two verses number eighteen let's just let's just list, read this for if I for I testify unto every man that hears the words of, of the prophecy of this book 
If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. My, think about that. If any man shall take away from the words of this book of prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book, which he which, he which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. The, the very essence of adding to or taking away from Scripture itself is, is judgment of hellfire. You know, Absolutely. You think about all these, the offshoots of religion that, like you said, Joseph Smith, I had a revelation and it's outside of Scripture, but yet I, and I saw an angel yeah. and an angel gave me this book, yeah. a scroll and, and on and on. You know, we sola scriptura in Scripture, out of Scripture alone. We cannot go outside you know, of the confines of this book. Bill Johnson, the guy over Bethel, he's kind of like poster child for this because Joseph Smith, I don't, I don't know of many people that would even classify Mormonism as a denomination. Most would just say that's another it's a, religion. It's a cult, yes. Like they'd say it's, it's not even Christianity it's anymore. Not. Well, Bill Johnson over Bethel, I mean, you know, they'd say, well, he's charismatic, so he still is under this umbrella of Christian. He's one of those people that takes scripture, goes outside of it, and uses his thoughts to try to craft new theologies. And I think anytime you begin to see a new theology, well, mm. let, me, let me actually first say this. When you go and read Thomas Aquinas, when you go and read Justin Martyr, when you read Eusebius, when you oh, read Martin Luther. Hold on, hold on. Go and read Thomas Aquinas. <laughs> go and read Eusebius. Go and read Justin Martyr. Justin Martyr. Arrhenius. Go, 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 like, go and read these people. because when, when you read early church fathers, oh, you realize how man. much grind was put into like hammering out truth. And so when you have the same 66 books that have gone through church father after church father after church father, seminary after seminary, Spurgeon, Calvin, Wesley, uh, Polycarp, just all of these guys. When, when you have come this far down the line, and somebody in the 2000s says, I have developed a new theology, I'm immediately skeptical. <laughs> well, I'm immediately skeptical. Well, and, and honestly, let me, I, I would like to put their feet to the fire and say, would you spill your blood? Would you spill your blood over what you're saying? Because these men did. These men were, you know, like William Justin Tyndale. Martyr, William Tyndale, burned at the stake, filleted alive, all these things. They spilled their blood because it wasn't something that was just off the cuff, oh, the Lord has given me a new revelation. Yeah. It's, this, it's this new light, airy, uh, one guy said, these whimsical uh, notions. Of, uh, just It's not propositional truth. Whimsical. That's <laughs> what he said. It's whimsical, light, airy, whimsical notions. But you I, know. I will say, we, we talk about, you know, kind of the bookshelf. Like, we got Norm Geisler here, who's famous for writing that book, Chosen But Free, which is kind read of it. against Calvinism. And then we've got Calvin's commentaries right here, who obviously Calvin is... Calvinism. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that. And um, one thing I will say is when it comes to a defense of Scripture and biblical doctrine, nobody does it like the Calvinists do it. That's the truth. I mean, listen. It's, it actually puts us to shame. It, the more I look into it, it's just like... I love... I, I listen to Steve Lawson. Okay, if you don't know who Steve Lawson is, he's a beast. He, he goes hard in the paint. Vody Bauckham. Same thing, but John Piper, there is this such, this such a staunch approach. Albert to, Martin? Oh, yeah. Go listen to Albert Martin. Not as well known, but he's a fireball. Oh, my word, You, you go listen to these guys that are sold. Like, when you really become convicted on sola scriptura, tying this back to what I was saying about Bill Johnson, is these guys will come with this new theology, and typically it has something to do with the person of Jesus. Like, he 
was an incantation of God, or he was completely man when he was human here on earth, so as to say he didn't possess any outer earthly knowledge of anything that was to come to pass. Well, from what we know of Jesus' thoughts about Judas, Judas specifically, that's a lie. And, and so what you begin to see is people make claims about something in Scripture that sounds good, and it's a doctrine that was conveyed outside of the Scriptures. That's a very dangerous that's, thing. That's what's going on in this generation. Yeah. It's, it's a constant thing. Yeah. We are making up all this new stuff. This new wave, this new revelation. This to new make truth. it sound tweetable. Yeah, you that's know, what you, it is. You, you a... adjust the words mm-hmm. to make a word sculpture that looks nice, but sometimes to make it look quite the way you want it to, you have to actually manipulate the meanings of the words to a point where it becomes heretical. Exactly. For the sake of trendiness. And, and, and I think ultimately it boils down to, uh, for sure, trendiness, but it also boils down to the want and the desire to have a following to have to, to create you know some kind of environment you know your own kingdom so to speak it's this desire to be known to yeah. be seen to be heard and uh, that's you know kind of opposite of what the gospel tells us to do yeah. be sure that we don't go outside of scripture and so what really where we're kind of going with this in, in, the, in the time we have left is like there is this there has to be a parameter that says these are the lines of scripture yes, that you do not cross. Yes. Any like if you deny the Trinity, if you try to say that that Jesus is um, not fully God, or if you try to say that that uh, you know, well, maybe, the resurrection never happened, right? Or that God has brothers, or that the resurrection was just symbolic, and that if it wasn't a, a true resurrection, or if you try to say um, that you know the but, Holy Spirit is just a manifestation of God, but He's not divinity. Mm-hmm. All of those things that are like parameters of Scripture. We cannot go outside They're of those They're called things. non-negotiables. Non-negotiables. These are the hills to die on. Yeah, we're going like, to die on them. And, and when, it, when it comes down to the biblical inspiration of Scripture, saying that the Scripture is the final of authority, that is as important as all of our doctrines about God. Like, the idea that Jesus is the only way to the Father is just as important as Scripture being the only inspired God-breathed Word of Absolutely. God. Absolutely. Not all of the non-negotiables are set up on the top shelf, and you don't touch those. That's it. But it's good to know them. Oh, yeah. Most of us don't know them. We have to know them. We have to know them inside and out. It's funny because, let me just interject this. It's funny, really, really funny to me because we make non-negotiables something like small. This is the reason why we have so many hair splits in our churches. We we don't Mm. even know what the real non-negotiables are, but we hair split over insignificant little parts of of scripture that really we shouldn't even be arguing are you a superlapsarian or an infralapsarian are you a post-tribber or a pre-tribber are tongues the initial evidence or are they a gifting of the spirit like we just split and divide the church but and we don't even really know what the non-negotiables are you know the the uh the divinity of christ Uh as dalton said um the crucifixion of christ the resurrection of christ the trinity the trinity sola scriptura we are these are Prerequisites no to way, no way to heaven except through the proclamation That's of it. redemption through Christ and Christ alone. There's, no there's way to Christ except, except through Christ, by grace through faith. faith. All of the grace and faith centered around you recanting your sin, not accepting Christ, so that you can have a friend, but that you are repentant. And, and I'll tell you something, Dalton. It's been years, and uh, you know, uh, I'm 36 and just been on the mission field since I was 18 years old. And uh, Dalton thinks I'm old, and so does Blaine, but I'm not. And uh, anyways, you, you get out there, and it's so tragic. On this side of my life now, I look back, and I see all these little camps that we've built, these little camps of subdivision that we've divided the Word of God, split, you know. And it's in this season of my life that, man, I'm in, I just, I've got great friends across the line because it's 
it's scriptural own. Let's not divide. But that's another whole other. Yeah. So, so where, going where to, we're going with this, all right? Going to, where was it, scripture, Corinthians? Uh, y- yes, First uh, Corinthians. So scripture is the final authority. There is no room for trying to make the scriptures mean what you want them to mean. Right. Okay? But we meet the word that has been used as almost a vigilante to kind of bring in all kinds of heresy, and that word is context. Um, people, context is the greatest thing that can be used in preaching. It's the most important thing because it's a way to understand the scriptures. However, people can try to use that, that platform of context to try to say, well, the scripture meant this, and then what they... Oh, it's self-interpret. Right. Yeah. And so I want to read this passage, and we're going to talk about it. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovers dishonors her head, since it is a shame, uh, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image of and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man was not made of woman, but woman was made for man. Neither was a man created from woman, but woman for man. This is why, that is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. What, what, where was that found? First Corinthians what? First Corinthians 11. 11, okay. So then is this saying that it's a sin for us to take our, well, Stephen's wife, <laughs> my future wife, is, is it wrong then for us to bring women to church without head coverings? Is it a sin if women cut their hair? And this is, this is where we, we get into, you know, again, context, uh, context and, and really uh, church wars because this stuff is split and divided churches through, throughout the ages. And it's, you, you, gotta, you have to look at what the culture was saying during that time. Dalton, why was yeah. this put yeah. in yeah. 1 Corinthians? So this is, to answer that question, where we implement how to context with truth. And that is you look at what the scripture is saying in principle and seeing how the details of that principle could change from culture to culture without changing scripture. the principle. That's right. right. Right? So the principle of what Paul is saying in culture of that time was, okay, here's the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church was crazy. And, uh, well, let's just talk about that yeah. for just a second. Corinth was the center of prostitution uh, in that whole known world, right? Right. They worshipped the goddess Diana, yeah. and she was the uh, yeah. fertility god. And so, and so what, what happened is these people began to be evangelized. It was a cultural symbol, if you were a prostitute and a woman, to shave your head. Okay. What? So, yeah. Say that again? So if you were a prostitute in, in Corinthian culture, you shaved your head. And if you were a male and you were a prostitute, you had long hair. And so Paul sends Timothy to the church of Corinth, realizes that uh, the truth is, and um, we don't have time to get into this, the reason there was such an uproar is because there was women there that were trying to exercise authority over men in a non-biblical fashion, and Timothy couldn't handle the difficult women. So Paul sends Timothy to Ephesus and then sends Titus to the church of Corinth because Titus, he was, he was tough. He was a heavy hitter. And so what Paul is saying to the women at the church of Corinth is that by shaving your head, you were bringing in the cultural symbol of a prostitute into into the the church. church. Furthermore, what Paul's really trying to say is that the head covering symbolized the submission of authority to the husband. And that for the sake of being a church plant in this uh, age of the apostles, we have to show the world that we believe in the biblical authority of the woman to the man. 
So the entire message of what Paul's saying wasn't about the, the head, head coverings. Covering. It was about the show of authority. And what was going on in their culture. Right. You know, to not ha be tied to yes. the, the fornication and the yes. prostitution of, of the Gentile right. world, you know, to make sure that that was a separate part right. uh, where, you know, you're distinguished from, as a Christian, you're yes. distinguished from. So to, for me to say in this generation, um, all you women that come to church, you better have a head cover. You better wear a big scarf on your head. If not, you will be, uh, yeah. you know, you're, you're just, you're violating yeah. scripture. Well, now, culturally, that principle of authority has nothing to do with the head covering. We would say, well, it, it's the way that you uh, let the husband lead yeah, and, or wearing exactly. a wedding ring right. or not entertaining some guy messaging you privately. That's right. That's the principle. The principle is that you, within the confines of your culture, are supposed to act in a way that edifies and magnifies Christ right. and uh, the biblical roles of submission to the world. Yeah. And so within this context, what Paul's addressing is the head covering, but the principle that he's trying to establish is authority. It's mm -hmm. being separate. It, it, it's, it's following Christ uh, unashamedly, and, and even as far as appearance. And so that message would change in our culture. Yeah, and so we can't change the principle. We change the expression of that that's dependent good, upon where we're at culturally. Absolutely. That's, and that's great. So there, there is a way, and kind of what we're getting at is understanding how to contextualize Scripture without... Uh, um, compromising the principle, the principle of, what of it's Scripture. Yes. Exactly. So we've got to make sure that we're not just creating doctrines uh, uh, off of, you know, just the, the face value of what we think is being said here. Because if that was the truth, you know, so, so many people go to the law to try to, to, try to yes. apply a certain legality yeah in our world, yeah. in, in our life as Christians. Because then this begins and dies with head coverings. It does. And not with authority. Exactly. Right? And so be sure that you understand when you're reading the Word, this sola scriptura, we base nothing, nothing out of what we believe outside of Scripture. But when you are coming to Scripture, be sure that you understand the context of Scripture. Amen? Yes. I hope you guys enjoyed this week on the bookshelf. So much more to come. Uh, just really, really excited about what the future holds. Um, until next time. And if you want to be in the Bookshelf Book Club, read your Bible. <laughs> and buy Systematic Theology by Norman Geisler. And read your Bible. And read your Bible. God bless you. We love you.